Most people believe the Holy Spirit exists. But why don't we ever talk about it? We hear about the Holy Spirit, and we sing about the Holy Spirit. But do we understand who He is? The Holy Spirit is not meant to be a mystery. He is a person and not an it. The Holy Spirit isn't just a power source to tap into when we need it. It's about communion with the person. There are many aspects of the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. And the truth of who He is is painted throughout the Bible. The Holy Spirit is meant to be a part of our everyday lives. And we are called to live in the supernatural. Amen. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Drew Stedman, for those who don't know me, and I am joined by some helpers, my daughters, and they're going to help out this morning in reading our theme verse. Hi, my name is Audrey, and my name is Abby Joy, and we love Jesus. Stand with us as we read the Word of God together. Wait a second. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5 through 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. This is what I believe and what I stand on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Way to go, girls. So proud of them. I got some preachers. Amen, amen. Hey, it is a privilege to be with you this morning as we continue this series. We kicked it off last week as we continue this broader walk through 1 Corinthians that we started at the beginning of the school year back in August. And then last week, we started this new series called Ignited by the Holy Spirit. And we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. So this is week two. Last week, Jimmy shared this awesome message. He started in the first five ver uh, verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he used that as a launch point to take us all throughout the New Testament specifically looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jimmy reminded us, I think these, these fundamental truths that unlock everything else that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, he reminded us that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not the junior member of the Trinity. But instead, the Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is continually working to exalt the name of Jesus and bring all things into his reign. Amen. And that's the foundation for everything else. And I'm just really honored to continue this morning as we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I believe is another part of this foundation for us as we walk through these passages. Because just as we need to know the person of the Holy Spirit, we also need a reminder of the work of the Holy Spirit, of what is he doing inside of us, and what does that mean for us today. Amen? Well, this morning, I want to kick things off. We're going to jump ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 13. Why don't you read with me? says this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Amen. So this is Paul's referencing this idea of the baptism of the spirit. But if you, you, you take a step back, the context of what he's talking about here. 
that the whole Corinthian letters, the church had written to Paul and they had a bunch of questions. They're trying to figure out what does it mean to walk with God? And it seems one of those questions was how do we use the spiritual gifts? God was moving in power. They were trying to get it figured out. But it seems as though somewhere along the way, things had gotten off track a little bit. They were walking in spiritual gifts, but they were using the spiritual gifts to prove something in themselves. And it seems in some kind of way, the spiritual gifts have become a source of division. Like my gifts are better than your gifts. You know, that kind of thing is going on. Well, I prophesy, well, I do healing. And they're using them in this way. And what Paul is doing in these verses is he is affirming the importance of the work of the spirit, but he's rebuking the way that it has become a point of division. And what he's saying is that, yes, there's many different gifts. I mean, I look at a room like this, there's so many different gifts, but the point of these gifts is not for us to feel good about ourselves and form our isolated little pocket. The point of the gifts is that we might come together as the one body of Christ and glorify the name of Jesus. And this is what he's talking about. He said, the spirit is working in all of us, but it's one spirit who's working. And that one spirit has one baptism that we are invited into. And if we wanna know what it means to be spirit led, we have to recognize that. I would love to keep going on that topic, but that's why we're doing this series. And so we've got multiple weeks ahead. We're gonna walk through the different spiritual gifts. We're gonna walk through what it means to be the body of Christ. So all the things I just referenced are gonna get a lot of attention in the coming weeks. But this morning, I actually wanna take a step back and look at something that I think is a little bit more foundational. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I mean, Paul's referencing it here as though we know what it is, but I think maybe along the way, somewhere we lost sight of it. What actually does it mean that we are baptized in the Spirit? Now, full disclosure, I'm pretty nerdy for those who know me. Like a wild night out for me is reading an academic theology book at a coffee shop. So thank you, my fellow nerds. So I recognize when we talk about the baptism of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit, I mean, there's so much to it, so much more than I can put into a Sunday sermon. But I would love to invite you, especially if you're nerdy like I am, um, I'd love to invite you to study this with me because it's like my favorite thing to dive into. There's so much richness to it in uncovering the work of the Spirit and what it means for us. And part of how we want to help you with that is this resource we mentioned earlier. Let's put that QR code back up. This is a little something we've come up with that just is going to help you walk through it this morning as I believe your faith is stirred to learn more about the work of the Spirit. Here's something you can take in your own time with God. In addition to that, Mick Murray, Maddie Eccles, and myself are going to be hosting a weekly Instagram live session on Wednesdays at noon. And this is your chance to ask questions. This is a chance for us to dive a little deeper into some of the things we can't quite get to on a Sunday morning. And if you want to go further, uh, Mick and I host a podcast called Ideology, and we've done about four or five episodes talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of resources we would love to get to you to help you grow in this and what it means for us. Does that sound good? Well, as we dive in, my goal this morning is go to the Word of God that we could ignite our faith and ultimately to ask the Holy Spirit to come fall upon us. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is truth. Do you realize that? It's the Holy Spirit who inspired the scripture. It's the Holy Spirit who enlightens our heart to understand the scripture. Sometimes I hear people talk about the need to balance spirit and truth. And I'm like, no, that's not how we need to say that. We don't need to balance the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is truth. So let me try it a different way. If we want to know the Holy Spirit, we have to know how he's already revealed himself to us so that we can see him at work in our present. Amen? So this morning, we're going to dive into Scripture to see what it says about the Holy Spirit to activate our faith for what He wants to do in our own lives. And I get this topic sometimes, you know, there's some confusion. For many people, it's not something we've really thought about before. Or maybe you've come across it and you left confused or you left with some questions. I remember I had a buddy of mine. God was just rocking his world. And one morning, he decided to bring his mother and grandmother to church. 
They grew up in a small town in West Texas, and it just so happened to be the Sunday where Jimmy was preaching on the gift of tongues. That could be you this morning. Welcome. We're going to have a great time. Now, my own story is a little different. I grew up in a charismatic church, spent my whole life in the charismatic world. In fact, I uh, grew up in Kansas City, and I went to this um, elementary school that my church operated. And in my formative years, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my, in my school. So I distinctly have this memory of showing up to class one day. The Spirit of God is moving. I don't know what the class was supposed to be, but it turned into a prayer meeting. And I had these friends of mine had come fallen down under the power of the Holy Spirit or lying on the floor having open visions of heaven. That's awesome, right? Now I get it. Like you, you hear a story like that. And on the one hand, it's like, wow, that is amazing. And also that's kind of weird. And I, I agree with you. <laughs> like I was living it. It is kind of weird, but God was moving. And there's just something about God breaking into our world in an unexpected way. It rocks us. And I think in a really awesome way. And you know, I'm, what I'm not saying is that every crazy charismatic thing somebody did is always God. Like I, any question you have, if you're that type of person, I've probably had all the same questions. Is that just people being impressionable? Is that somebody's flesh? Is that really God? Is that just emotionalism? Like I get the questions. I promise you. I, I, I really do. I understand it. And yet at the same time, I also believe that God is moving. And I don't want to let the questions keep me from what God is doing. I mean, that's literally the context of what Paul's writing about in 1 Corinthians 12. I mean, you know, the 1 Corinthians church, the church in Corinth, it was a messy place. Like, read it. I, I mean, serious. Like, they, they, they had problems, right? And even as they're trying to sort out the spiritual gifts, they weren't doing it in the right way. Paul is not trying to shut down the gifts, but he's saying, let's embrace the gifts and let's learn how to do it in a way that exalts Jesus and builds up the body. It's going to be messy when the living God comes and touches human people. So let's learn how to take that encounter, to drive it to scripture, to walk in maturity that we might exalt the name of Jesus and build one another up because church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit today just as much as we ever have. And even though at times it can be messy, it can make us feel uncomfortable. Maybe it's because we feel out of control and we don't like that. And I can testify that I have experienced that. I can also testify that I have seen the power of God at work in the church. Part of my story, when I was in that grade school, actually years before that, my parents, my mom was pregnant with my sibling and I was just a little kid. But the doctor came as they looked at the scans. They said, there's no way this child is going to survive. And if by some miracle she's born alive, she's not going to ever be able to live a normal life. And, you know, they were just trying to prepare my parents for this reality like any good doctor would. My parents were desperate. They went to some friends. They asked them to pray. These friends had started a new church in town and they described this prayer meeting where for 30 minutes, these people gathered around them and prophesied, told my parents things about themselves they could have never known. And at the end, they prayed over my daughter this prayer of faith. And my mom describes how instantly faith welled up in her heart and she believed that God was gonna do something powerful. They went back to the doctor. The doctor said, that's awesome. But, you know, just again, try to prepare them for the reality. But my parents believed in faith. Fast forward a few months later, they're there in the delivery room. The room is packed with specialists thinking if this child is born alive, they're going to whisk her off to the ICU. And in that moment, my sister was born completely healthy and whole. And when my doctor looked at her, they took her, they ran the test. My doctor turned to my mom and said, you have your miracle. And we still have the medical records to this day. I can testify to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. I remember being here in a church service just like this. And almost every Sunday, we invite people at the end to come down to pray. And that's an important part of what we do as a church. 
And this one Sunday, I was here on the prayer team and I'm standing here at the front. This guy walks up to me who I didn't know. And this was on a day I didn't feel particularly anointed. Like it wasn't something about me, but he was hungry. I put my hands on him. I didn't understand his background. I later found out that there were decades of addiction and that's why he was here for prayer. God showed up and touched him. It wasn't because I like, you know, did something special. It's just God wanted to move and I happened to be there that day. And as I laid hands on him, you know, I, I saw God was moving. I didn't hear the story until months back. Months later, he came to me and told me his name is Wes. He said, Drew, on that day, I was instantly delivered from years of addiction and set free. And that testimony continues to this day. It's the power of God at work in the church. Does that mean every time that's gonna be your story? No, but it means sometimes it's gonna be our story. And I'm okay pressing in for the sometimes because we need the power of Jesus. Wes would be the first to tell you he got instantly delivered there. There were other areas of his life that were gonna be a long-term process of healing and restoration. And that's always the case. I don't understand why sometimes people get instantly healed, why sometimes the Holy Spirit manifests himself in one way, why sometimes there's that instant deliverance and other times it's a long-term process. I don't get it. I just trust that God is good and that he's moving. And I'm gonna believe in faith that God wants to move in this house, amen? And I say all this because there can be this temptation for people like me who maybe spent, you know, like in my case, I spent my whole life in the charismatic world. And at times you kind of get this stigma a little bit, right? Like you're the weird guy. I know what's out there. <laughs> and we all want to fit in. That's normal. That's human. And I find myself over time wanting to just kind of back off a little bit of our need for the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. But I'll just say this, the last few years, I'm going the other direction because I'm convinced more than ever, it's the power of the spirit in the church in this hour is what is needed in this world. I'm convinced of it. And I'm not worried about being weird anymore. Like look outside, the whole world is weird. You're not gonna weird anybody out. That's the great news. I don't think we need to worry about fitting in. I think we need to worry about a church walking in the power of God. I'm not saying being weird for weird's sake, but I'm saying being faithful and trusting that God's gonna do what he said he was gonna do. All right, so let's go into scripture this morning. And I wanna use what Paul referenced, but we're actually gonna dive in predominantly in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And I wanna start by just asking the question, what is the baptism of the spirit? And as I talk to people, even as I study on a more academic side, it's amazing how complex this topic can be and, and honestly how neglected this topic is. But if you actually read scripture, if we take it seriously, this is an incredibly important thing that we need to wrestle with that's in the word of God. So as, just as for starters, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Biblically, the baptism of the Holy Spirit describes the ministry of Jesus. Let that just sink in for a second. The baptism of the Spirit describes the ministry of Jesus. Now, before you say something bad about me, I'm not the one who said this. This is John the Baptist. So turn to Luke chapter three, verse 16. I want you to read this. This is John's prophecy talking about Jesus who is coming. He says this, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist is the last and greatest of Israel's prophets. Israel's prophets, the prophetic tradition was meant to call God's people to repentance and prepare the way for the Messiah. And think about John, like he literally got to do that, right? He literally called people to repentance and then pointed at Jesus and said, he is the one we've been waiting for for thousands of years. 
What an incredible ministry. And yet John Zoe's testimony is that my ministry is nothing compared to the ministry of Jesus who is to come. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And though I baptize you with water, he's going to baptize you in his ministry with the Holy Spirit and with fire. All right, so we gotta take it seriously, right? Now here's the thing about scripture. All of scripture is true and God breathed. If this was all there was, we would have to take it seriously no matter what. But whenever you see something in the Bible that's repeated, that should be a sign for us to pay attention. All right, when something in scripture gets repeated multiple places, that's a sign for us that this is a big deal. We need to underline it and pay attention. And if you read your Bible, what you're gonna discover, actually I'm gonna put this on the screen, that John's prophecy is mentioned at the beginning of all four gospels and twice in the book of Acts, in addition to what we read earlier that Paul said. All four gospels and twice in the book of Acts, there are less than 15 things that are in all four gospels. I mean, that's how big of a deal this is. The baptism of the spirit and John's prophecy, as we're gonna see in a minute, I think in a lot of ways sets the entire agenda for the book of Acts and why you and I are here in the church today. This is a huge deal biblically that we have to dive into. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let, let's look at this. Let's look at, at Luke and Acts. And that's where I could pick any of these to, as our jumping off point. But let's lock into Luke and Acts because I think this is where we see it the most clearly. What is the baptism of the spirit? Now, Luke and Acts, they go together. They're written at the same time by the same person. It's kind of like having a book with volume one and volume two. It's a little tricky because in our Bibles, the gospel of John is wedged in between. Um, and I don't have time to get into all the realities of why that happened, but just take my word for it. Luke and Acts, they go together. And when you read it, when you read them together, a pattern that you're gonna notice really quickly is that what Jesus did, he pre prepared the way for the church to do. What Jesus did, he's preparing the way for the church to do. So if you flip ahead to Acts chapter one, verse five, just as John prophesied about the ministry of Jesus, that he's going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, I want you to read what happens at the beginning of Acts. This is Jesus talking. He says this, actually starting in verse four. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So get this, this is after Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This is after Jesus was buried. This was after Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form. This was after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. What he's saying to the church is something is still missing and that is the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to come on the church and you need to wait until it comes to do what I've called you to do. And if you keep reading, you're gonna notice there's a lot of parallels that happen after this. And ultimately this prophecy points to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. I've preached about this a lot lately, so I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but you can read it, Acts chapter two, verse one through four. But instead, what I wanna look at is I wanna look at the parallels in the life of Jesus and the life of the church. I got a little chart here that you can see. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in tangible form from heaven in Luke chapter three, verse 22. Then the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples in tangible form from heaven in Acts chapter two, verse two. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus in Acts chapter four, verse one. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples in Acts chapter two, verse four. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for ministry in Luke 4, 14. And the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples for ministry in Acts 2, 14. And we could keep going and going, even down to some of the same miracles. What's the message here? The message here is that Jesus modeled for his church what he called his church to go do. 
Now, the church could not do this on our own. If it were not for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there is no way that we could walk and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. But because of what Jesus did on the cross and rising from the dead, he then turns around and baptized us in the same spirit that empowered his ministry so we might continue it on the earth. That's good news this morning. And so Pentecost is the beginning of this, but Pentecost is not the end of this. Pentecost is what set it in motion, but the baptism of the Spirit is meant to describe not just a one-time event, but to be a lifestyle that marks the church of God. So immediately after the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples at Pentecost, this giant crowd, thousands of people gathers. Peter stands up with this supernatural filling of the Spirit. He preaches the gospel, and I love it. It describes at the end, they're just like cut to the heart, undone, broken, saying, what do we need to do to be saved? And I want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is Peter's response to them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now pause there. That's a great gospel message, right? Repent, be baptized, and Jesus is going to forgive your sins. But sometimes we stop there. And Peter didn't stop there. Read what he said next. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children. Right, so you have been saved, you've been forgiven. The baptismal waters, they're they're a symbol of you being made new and there's power from on heaven that God wants to put upon you so that you can join into this legacy of Pentecost and to continue this work. One of the symbols at Pentecost is fire resting upon the heads of the disciples. Now just try to like imagine that in your mind for a second. Little flames of fire over all of our heads. That would be awesome, I've never seen that one. But the image that immediately comes to my mind is a candle, right? And it's like the church are these candles, the light of the world sent out into the midst of darkness. And what's happening here, Jesus is the light of the world. But I love that Jesus, though he is the light of the world, he turns around and calls us the light of the world. I don't get it, but that's what he says. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one empowered by the spirit to bring the light of God into darkness. Then the light of the world descends upon the church and we become the light of the world because we're filled with that same spirit. And it's not just the 120, now it's the thousands. And we're sent out into the surrounding nations to testify of the goodness of God. This is the inheritance of the church. And if you keep reading in Acts, what you discover is this same pattern of increasing numbers of people repenting, believing in the name of the Lord Jesus and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they turn around and they themselves go out and testify and do the same. And on and on and on. And you see, one of my favorite is Acts chapter 8, verse 15 and 17. So the gospel starts at Jerusalem. It spreads throughout the Jewish church. Now we're moving into the the area of Samaria. And it says this. It's describing these Samaritan believers that had initially responded to the gospel message. The church heard about it and they decided to send Peter and John to them to follow up. And when Peter and John arrived, I'm reading now Acts chapter 8, verse 15. They prayed for them, these Samaritan believers, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So even though they believed in Jesus, something was still missing and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. So then the power of the Holy Spirit becomes upon them. They get sent out to testify and do the same thing and the church continues to grow. Now, if you're really sharp and a Bible scholar, you'll remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, my spirit's gonna come upon you. You'll be my witnesses at where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth. 
And in a lot of ways, that's the structure of the book of Acts, of how the gospel goes to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And each time we see the Holy Spirit pouring himself out on a new group of people to empower them to take the gospel even further. This ultimately finds its culmination, I believe, in Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius. Let me set the stage for this one. At this time, Jews were not allowed to go into the home of a non-Jewish person called a Gentile. They weren't allowed to have a meal with them. They were completely separate. And that sounds kind of rough to us. You're like, wow, that's intense. But that was actually the call of God. Why? Because they were called to be set apart. Israel was always this tiny little country surrounded by powerful empires. And there was this worry, this fear that over time we compromise and we become like the world. So therefore we have to be distinct. It actually makes a lot of sense. And so they had these rules about associating with non-Jewish people called Gentiles. In the early church, they're all Jewish Christians, and so they kept to those rules. They didn't even think about crossing them. But then out of the blue one day, God shows up, gives Peter this incredible vision, an audible voice, an angel, like all the cool stuff happens, and God makes it very clear, I want you to go to this man's house. The problem is this man is a Gentile. His name is Cornelius. And if that wasn't bad enough, Cornelius is not just a normal Gentile. He's a Roman. And he's a Roman soldier, and he's actually a leader in the Roman army. I mean, the very same people that killed Jesus, the very same people that oppressed Israel, God is now calling Peter to go into his home to violate all of those social taboos to preach the gospel. And Peter, he responds in faith, and he does what the Lord says. But I love what happens. He's telling the story about Jesus. You can tell he's really uncomfortable being there. And I want you to read what happens at the end of his gospel message. We're going to read Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, so like in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This part here is so significant. Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now this caused a huge scandal, and that's Acts 11. Peter gets called back to Jerusalem. People are, you know, they're out for him. They're like, how could you do this? I'm sure people wanted to remove him from leadership. It was threatening to split the church. But Peter stands up and he shares the story about what happens. And and read his defense. If you flip ahead, um, Acts 11, verse 15, he's describing the story. And then he says this, as I begin to speak, The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And I remember what the Lord had said. Here's our verse again. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And when they heard this, I love how the church responded. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Amen. Most of us in this room are not Jewish Christians. You are here today because of this happening here. Many Bible scholars call this the Gentile Pentecost. And it's meant to reveal to us that what happened at Pentecost happened to the Samaritans. It even happens in the Gentiles. This is for all of us. And what I love the most about the book of Acts, it also makes the book really quirky, is that it has no conclusion. Like read it sometime. You get to Acts chapter 28 and Paul is in prison and you never find out what happens to him. It's like a thousands-year-old cliffhanger, you know? Like, we have to wait till eternity to get the end of the book. It has no ending. It's so abrupt, so awkward, that some people actually think Luke died while he was writing it. 
because no author would ever end a book that badly. Like, that's the logic behind that. <laughs> but I disagree entirely. I think it's, in, it's in per, on purpose. And the answer is very simple. It's because the book hasn't ended yet. Acts has no ending because the story continues to this day, and that's you and me. So I've got a little chart here. You can take a picture of it if you want to study this for yourself. But the story of Pentecost continues in the life of the church today. And the pattern that we see here in Scripture, and I could highlight a bunch more verses if you want, the pattern we see here of the church being filled and refilled and expanding to new groups of people, and they get filled, and the gospel spreading further and further and further has not stopped. It continues to this very day. It is the inheritance of the church. It's why we're here this morning. And I'd add, it's also our calling. We're invited into this incredible story. But we too, just as much, I mean, think about it. If the earthly disciples of Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do their ministry, how much more do we? This is what we're meant for, church. Amen? Pentecost is the inheritance of the church. Now, there's a couple questions that pop up from time to time, and let me take a moment and answer them. Um, I hear some people say, but isn't the baptism of the Spirit the same thing as water baptism? And my answer to that one is I, I think they're connected. I think they go together, but I don't think we can say they're the same. I think there's some level of distinction. The story of Cornelius I just read, remember it? He was baptized in the Spirit, and that's the whole reason why he was water baptized later. So even though they're linked, there is some distinction there, and we have to make sure we preserve that. Um, another question I get, the second question is, isn't it the same then as salvation? It's just another way of saying that we're saved. Um, the story we read about the Samaritans, you remember that? They had believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been water baptized, but they still had not yet received the power of the Holy Spirit. Something was missing. So once again, my answer is, I do think they go together, but I also think there's some distinction that we need to, we need to recognize. There's a power that, that comes upon us by the Holy Spirit that I think originates in our salvation and our baptism, but is also a distinct thing that needs to happen to us. Now, a third question I get, maybe coming at it from a different angle, if you grew up more Pentecostal, is isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit a definitive one-time event that's always evidenced by the speaking of tongues? And I would disagree with this one as well. I think tongues is a sign, but I don't think it's the sign. And I do think there is a first time when you get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I totally get why people refer to that as this definitive one-time event, because once it happens to you, you're never the same. But it's not meant to be an only time. It's meant to be a cycle of being filled afresh. And every time you get filled, the Holy Spirit's doing something new. So the point of me saying all of this is I, I want us to be careful not to put the Holy Spirit in a box. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the, the leader of the church. He can do whatever he wants. I think we see patterns. I think we might see patterns that are even normative in the life of the church that we can pay attention to. But we also have to recognize that the Holy Spirit acts and moves in ways that we don't always understand. And we just have to be okay not always being in control is what that comes down to. So a, a simple way of saying this that we've said before is at your salvation, maybe answering some of these questions, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 1. You were sealed in the Holy Spirit. God set you apart. You are saved. You are a son or daughter of God. You will never be more loved or forgiven by God once you profess your faith in Christ. So there is a sealing that takes place at salvation in the Spirit. But then there is a filling, an outpouring that takes place that's in addition to that where power comes upon you that all of us need. We got a definition here. It's also in those resources. You're welcome to take a screenshot of it if you want to dive into that a bit further. But that's maybe a way of us looking at it. Okay, so we talked about how 
The baptism of the Spirit is the inheritance of the church, looking backwards at our past and where we've come from. But there's another way of looking at the baptism of the Spirit that I think is really fun, and it's actually looking at the future of where we're going. What is the baptism of the Spirit ultimately? I believe the baptism of the Spirit at the end of the day refers to the day when I'm gonna stand before God and I'm completely and entirely joined in with him in perfect communion, in pure relation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where there is no longer any barrier. I'm no longer seeing through a glass dimly, but I see him face to face, and I'm perfectly united with him forever. We can go further. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over creation in Genesis 1, verse 2, I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to the great day when all of creation will be the temple of the Holy Spirit filling all things. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the day that we look to when all is made right and completed in God. Remember how I said the baptism of the Spirit is the purpose of Jesus' ministry? This is what I'm talking about. Because through his death, burial, resurrection, and then sending the Spirit upon the church, he brought about that day that we look forward to. And even as we need to look to our inheritance in the past, we need to look to our future of what is to come. And it's so right Every time we sing about it, like we did this morning, I had no idea James Mark was gonna lead us in those songs. Every time we sing about it, it unlocks something in our soul because we're gazing into what is coming and who we're called to be. Baptism of the Spirit is the inheritance of the church in the past. It's what we look to in our future in God, but it's also our present. And what I love about God is that even as I look to my future in him, I get to experience it today. Isn't that amazing? I can say that I am saved and I await my salvation. I can say that I am a new creation in Christ, but I await my new body in Christ. I can say that I live within God's kingdom even as I turn around and pray, let your kingdom come. I can talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit today even as I know that day is coming when I experience the fullness of it. There is a reality of God we experience now even as we recognize it's not yet the fullness of what it will be on that day. And we need to hold those two together. In fact, I found when I gaze upon the day that's coming, it gives me faith for what's occurring now, in the present. When I talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what I'm describing is our inheritance in God stored up for us in heaven that we are walking in today. It's not the fullness of what heaven's gonna be, but it's no less real. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as a deposit And that's what's happening now when we experience the baptism of the Spirit. It's a deposit of eternity in real life today. And we need it, church. We need it. It's why I think the Bible often refers to miracles as signs. You know what a sign does? Like, this is not a trick question. It points to something. (laughs) And think about that for a second. When we see the miraculous sign of physical healing, it's pointing to our resurrected bodies in eternity. When we see the sign of speaking in tongues, it's pointing to the day when every tribe, tongue, language, and nation stands before the throne of God in perfect unity and exalts the name of Jesus. When we speak of the sign of deliverance, it stands for the day when God comes and drives out every force of darkness and justice and oppression and we're set free forever. When we speak of prophecy, it stands for the sign when we see God face to face and know him and are fully known by him and there's no more barrier between us and God. And they're not all these demonstrative gifts. There's this sign of joy when we get a foretaste of the joy that we're gonna have in heaven. The sign of peace where we get this taste, this touch of the peace that we have in heaven when all things are restored and made right. The comfort of the Holy Spirit, I could keep going. These are signs that we experience in real life today that point us to the future of what is to come. 
We need it. This is why the baptism of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel always go together. Because with my words, I'm declaring the kingdom that is to come. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're demonstrating the signs of that kingdom here right now. This is what the church, this is what we need today. When I study scripture, the consistent thing I find when it refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this. It's a real event. It's tangible. It changes something. It doesn't always look the same. You can't put it in a box. It doesn't mean you're going to have the same experience as somebody else did. It doesn't mean that you can show up and there's this formula you follow and this is exactly what's going to happen. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm still saying that it's real. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's the one in charge, not me. But like Jimmy said last week, when I'm hungry and I'm humble and I come before him, he shows up because we serve a father who longs to give us good gifts. And this is our promise. Now, for some of you, you've never experienced that before. Please don't be insecure. The baptism of the Spirit is not a popularity contest. And Paul's writing to the, to the Corinthians saying, don't ever turn this into something where you can somehow validate yourself as a better Christian than somebody else. That's not the point of the gifts of the Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit. The point is to exalt Jesus and to serve one another. You will never be more loved. You will never be more forgiven. You will never be more secure in God than you are right now, even if you've never experienced this. And there's more. And the point of that more is actually for somebody else because they need that power that God's put on you. So here in a moment, we're gonna invite you to pray for this and to receive this. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I just know we serve a good God who longs to show up. But let me end with one last story. We need the baptism of the Spirit. I was reminded of this. Years ago, I was on a mission trip in South Asia with my buddy Mark, who's actually in the last service. And he was sharing with this guy about our same age from the nation of Iran. Now, Iran is one of the, the hardest places, you know, most persecuted countries on earth for Christians. And so Mark and this guy, Omar, they have this conversation. It's like an hours-long conversation that's kind of frustrating, where they just basically agree to disagree at the end. But I love my buddy. He's really smart. He said this, hey, Omar, why don't you tonight ask God to reveal himself? I believe the Spirit of God is real. I believe he can speak to us. Let's see what happens. So Omar did. And guess what happened that night? He heard the audible voice of God call his name twice. He had no idea what that was. It totally freaked him out. All he knew to say is the Father was calling me. It's funny how when God speaks to you audibly, it cuts right through your arguments. <laughs> if that wasn't enough, he, he sets up a time with Mark to have a follow-up meeting. And in the meantime, he had this soccer injury. He had to go to the hospital. He's in a tremendous amount of pain. But he shows up. They're eating at KFC because that's what you do, apparently, in other parts of the world. I always eat at KFC when I'm overseas. <laughs> and they're in line at KFC, and he, he's, Omar is describing to Mark the pain that he's experienced. And Mark is filled with faith, and he said, hey, I want to pray for you. He put his hand right here on his chest, and he prayed for him, a very simple prayer. And Mark describes it. He felt like this pop inside of Omar's body on his hand. He prayed, and nothing else happened in that moment. And just, they went and sat down, they're eating. A few minutes later, they're like eating their greasy fried chicken, you know. And out of the blue, said, Omar says, this is why I now believe. And he goes on and he describes how in that moment, the Holy Spirit healed him. The Holy Spirit, God called his name, healed his body. And that was enough for him to now risk his life to follow Jesus. Don't tell me about a dark world that keeps us from the gospel because we have the power of God in the church that reveals the kingdom of God to those who are in need. And I think about that. Do you know the fastest growing church in the world where it is today? Iran, not because of Omar necessarily, but Iran. Guys, and I get it. We come to church and we're so easily intimidated. And whether that's events you see in culture, the world around us, whether it's what's going on in your own life, and I get it. Darkness can feel pretty dark sometimes. 
but railing against the darkness doesn't do too much. We have to instead turn on the light. And I'm not too worried about what goes on in the world. Instead, what I'm worried about is a church that's alive in the power of the Holy Spirit that's bringing the light of God into that world. Amen? And we serve a powerful God and we need the power of the Holy Spirit on the church. Let's stand. I'm gonna invite Jimmy up and he's gonna lead us into a time of response. And as I said this morning, we're walking through scripture, but ultimately our goal is to posture ourselves and we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst us.